Well, praise God. Good morning, everyone. Welcome into my home this morning for Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm glad that you could make it today. And if you find me on SoundCloud, you're here listening from any internet application or SoundCloud all over the world. Good morning or good day to you as well. May God richly bless you for seeking Him today. If this is your first time listening to me, I'm Pastor Ed, and, uh, and you're listening to me from my home in McKinney, Texas. And this is Gospel Saving Church, our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. So anyway, we always start with a word of prayer to ask the Lord for his wisdom and guidance. So if you'd please join me in that prayer, I'd appreciate it. And ask the Lord to bless our service and help us understand his word because his Holy Spirit is what helps us understand. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for gathering your saints or those seeking, Lord, here today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love and for the great love that you showed us on the cross, Lord, as you came and gave your life a sacrifice for our sins. Lord, we could not do anything in order to work our way to you. For Lord, the Bible says that we're all sinners. And we're all wicked. And we can't do anything and any work to get to you, Lord. As I'm probably sure every single one of us has tried to get to you. But Lord, it doesn't work that way. You step, you put your best foot forward, Lord. And you showed us your love first. And then you just say, come to me. Lord, thank you, Lord, for your offer and your, your grace and your mercy and your, your just your wonderful love, Lord, that you grant people every day, Lord, me and those that love you and even those that are seeking you, Lord. I just pray today, Lord, that you would help us to understand your word. Help us clearly to understand what you're saying to us today. And Lord, help us just not to understand what you're saying to us today, but help us to make application to our lives. Help us to put the things that we hear to practice, Lord. It, it, as, as true wisdom is not just knowing things, but it's wisdom plus application. That's true wisdom, Lord. That's, that's true knowledge. So, Lord, help us, Lord. Help us, help us, help us, God. I pray you keep the distractions out of our minds and out of our hearts, Lord, while this sermon is going on. I pray you just keep the distractions out of this home and and out of the people's lives that are listening to me from all over the world. And help them to understand and make application to their lives for what your word says today. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, God in heaven. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Now, you can turn to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 6 and 7 today, if you would like to right now. But you don't have to till later. But we won't read those verses until after my thoughts from last week's message, the how to love. In our last section of study, John said in verse 3, For this is the love of God that we keep His, that would mean God's, commandments. And of course, this means that God's how to love Him and others is found in His word, Old Testament, or in His commandments and laws. And we even know this because Jesus Christ confirmed to us that all God's laws and commandments, that on all of them and on the prophets, hang, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love others as yourself. And last week I talked your ears off about this subject for a very long time because I felt God really wanted us to understand and get this concept that he was talking to us about. So this week, I will not talk your ears off anymore about how God said to love, I promise. But one thing I do is to point out one, just one aspect of what I see in God's how 
to love. And what aspect do I see in God of His how to love? I see Him as an awesome dad. He's just a loving and compassionate father. You may, you may say, how, Pastor Ed? All you did was tell us how God said to love. And how is that showing God's compassion or God's you know, being a great daddy? How, Ed, how? Well, yes, God commands his kids to love. But then God even gave me an example of this, this very thing I'm going to tell you about just within my life in the last week or two. So he gives us these commands to love. But then with his command to love, He doesn't just let us go out and figure out how to love. He gives us the direction of how to love, how to do what he said to do. He gives the command to love with the direction on how to fulfill it. How many times as a parent, if you're a parent out there, and this is for me too, how many times as a parent do we just give our children a command to do something? And say, hey, Johnny, hey, Nathan, hey, Bobby, go out and do this or that or whatever. But then we give them that command. But then we don't take the time to explain how we want it done. I know I'm guilty. I know I'm very guilty. I've done that to my children in the past. But you see, if we take a lesson from God, for he is a good, good father, an awesome, loving daddy, He's got that angle covered. If you really want to be an awesome parent that's out of this world terrific, we'll call it, you need to model God's way of parenting because he is the greatest daddy or parent in the entire universe. He gives us the command to love, but then gives us the direction on how to love as well. And just don't forget, Christians, and how you know God tells you how to love. He doesn't just want you to know how to to love, but he wants you to also put that how to love in actual actions and live out those ways toward him and others. And this is, you know, what all the law and all the prophets hang on. Love him with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor and then go to his word as to how to love him and how to love your neighbor. That'll tell you how. He'll tell you how for he is the greatest daddy of all. Well, praise God. Let's switch gears. That's a short little overview last for last week's message, but that's okay. Uh, our message today is going to be on the Trinity. Just simply, that's our title, the Trinity. That's going to be what the entire service is about, almost. 95% of the service is going to be about. So I hope you learned something about the Trinity today, maybe that you didn't know before this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. I'm just going to read these couple verses over real quick and then spend most of the time explaining. John writes to us this, speaking of Jesus. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. So remember, John ended last week's message, or last the last section that he wrote, telling us, hey, the one who overcomes the world, speaking of the born-again or saved person, is the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Remember that? That was verse 5 of last week. 
And this week he begins this new section, branching off of his mention of Jesus Christ by changing subjects again, focusing simply on one of the two major fundamental facts of Jesus Christ that we're going to look at today. The major first fundamental fact, verse 6, the very part of, uh, first part of verse 6, he says this, this is he, Jesus Christ, who came by water and blood, not only by water, but by water and blood. He repeats himself twice there. He says, hey guys, this Jesus, the Christ, by whom you overcome the world, he really did come in the flesh. And, guys, he really was born as a baby, as a real-life human being. And we know that he was born by Mary. He speaks of what we call today the holy conception or birth of Jesus Christ through Mary's womb. The water and blood that John is talking about here, they can mean a couple different things, but because Jesus Christ kind of came into ministry at one time, but he also came into this world, and I believe that's what John's talking to us here about today, is that how Jesus Christ came into this world. So the water, of course, we know that a woman has a baby, and there's amniotic fluid all around the baby. And of course, we know that a human being has what in it that keeps it going? Well, blood, right? So Jesus Christ came as a human being, being born through the womb of a woman. Of course, we know that to be a supernatural birth because Mary didn't have sex with Joseph before that happened. It was God that implanted Jesus Christ into Mary's womb, for she was a virgin. She had to be a virgin. We're going to go over one of those verses today. This is, John's mentioning here in this first verse, the very moment when the God of all the universe traded the literal perfect place of heaven for a sinful body of flesh in our physical reality. Wow, what love. See, a lot of people think that Jesus Christ only showed us his love on the cross. But you see, I contest. I say that Jesus Christ showed us his love in more than just on the cross. Here we see Jesus' love for humanity, not only in his death on the cross, but we also see his love for us in his sacrifice to be born into a human being. He traded, think of this, his home where he dwelt, where he was, where he spent most of all of his time, the amazing place of heaven, where it is sinless. It's perfect. It's totally holy. It's peaceful and it's pure. And it's that way 100% of the time, right? For what did he trade it for? He left heaven, left his place next to God, next left his place with God for earth, where evil and Satan reign, where there's pain, where there's suffering, where there's torment, where there's betrayal, hardship, disease, and death. And he did it all just because he loves me and you. Wow, what love. Christ didn't only love us on the cross. He loved us also in coming in the form of a sinful human being. Although he committed no sin, he came in sinful flesh. No one that's ever lived has ever loved as much as Jesus Christ. Wow. That, that is, I posted that on my Facebook page this week and I got bunch of likes and I mean just God's so good when you think about what he did for us the sacrifice that he took how I mean think of the greatest sacrifice you've ever made in your life 
Do any of those sacrifices compare with what I just said? Perfect place of heaven for what you see around you every day. Racism, hatred, death, murder, you name it. It's all here. It's like a cesspool of sin. And he did it all to rescue people from sin and death. Wow. Nobody that's ever lived, I'll say it again, has ever loved as much as Jesus Christ. (laughs) And who does John say is the main witness of Jesus Christ actually coming by water and blood in 100% flesh and body, born of Mary by God? Look at the rest of verse 6. He says, and it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. You see, God's Holy Spirit, of course, for He's 100% God and 100% truth. Biblically speaking, the Holy Spirit's the only one that can testify of who Jesus Christ really is in a spiritual sense. And what I mean by that is, the Holy Spirit's the only one that can teach anybody, any person, who Jesus Christ really is and, and, and that He was, of course, born by blood and came through water. Uh, if, if God's Holy Spirit didn't reveal to people the fact that Jesus is the Christ, born of water and blood, come from God, nobody would be able to spiritually understand this. Remember, if you will, Jesus' interaction with Peter, right? And they were Jesus was, hey, who do men say that I am? And, you know, Peter says, oh, they say this, and, and, and. and Jesus says, but who do you, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, oh, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And, of course, that meant that, you know, the Christ was to be born and, and he was to be, the, you know, the God-man and whatnot. And, 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 and Jesus says, well, blessed be you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. So by, of course, his spirit. So we know, of course, that the spirit's the only one that can tell us who Jesus Christ is and how he came to earth. But not only does God's Holy Spirit bear witness on earth to mankind spiritually of who Jesus Christ is and how he came to earth, he is one of the three that bear witness in heaven. Look at the, uh, read verse seven. For there are three, John says, that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. So, three from heaven, or that dwell in heaven, that are all one. That is what John just said. That's not what I said. John just said these three are all one. And he says that these three that are all one also bear witness of who Jesus is and how he came to earth. So our first major fundamental fact of Christ today that John covered was... Jesus, born of water and blood, born through a woman, came through a woman by God into the world, became becoming a flesh and blood human being. Another, the second major fundamental fact of God in Christ today he just covered is the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Who are these John is referring to that these three, but that are also one? Number one, Father, God Almighty, the Heavenly Father whom Jesus prayed to and talked to all the time. He'd go up on mountaintops. He went into the wilderness. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He put the disciples on the side. He went forth to pray. God the Father, whom Jesus spoke to all the time. The Word. This would be the Word of God, who also is known as Jesus the Christ, or God in the flesh. John 1 tells us this. Jesus is known as, scripturally, the Word of God. And third, the Holy Spirit. He of whom is God's power and the very spiritual nature and God also. God's very spiritual nature and God also. John says here that these three parts of God 
or God in his trinity bear witness or testify of who Jesus is and how Jesus came to earth. Now you say, hold on, Pastor Ed, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. You just used the word trinity, whoa, and that word, Pastor Ed, that word is not in the Bible, and I'll agree with you, that is correct. The word, the very word trinity is not in the Bible. So if the trinity is not a word in scripture, why did I use it? That's a good question. It's a good, well, you'd be saying, well, Pastor Ed, that's something I've had on my mind for a long time. The trinity, the word is not in the scripture. I say it, I say, although it's not, it's a word that someone came up with that describes the mystery of God. And it is a mystery. We'll talk about that. You'll see how we talk about that mystery as we keep going on here. The Godhead. It's the mystery of God, the Godhead of God Almighty, Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit being one God, but three. And of course, just one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Just one God, three parts, but still just one God. This is one of the most complicated and confusing ideas for people, including myself, to wrap their minds around in in God's entire scripture. One God in three separate and distinct personages or persons or beings. What? Speaking of this Godhead or Trinity, they are in order. The first person in the Trinity is always God the Father. He is the creator. He is the Father or maker of all that lives, moves, or breathes, whether in heaven or on earth. He is the Father, sits above, enthroned above all creation. He is God, right? God Almighty. Second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, or God the Son, who gave his life ransom for all, who paid for our sins on the cross, and by whom God the Father made all things, people and angels. For the Bible says that God made everything through Jesus Christ, and by whom, the Bible also says, all things are held together. Which means that everything you see or know in all of creation, whether it's the moon or the sun or the stars or the heavens or us or the earth, whatever, are all held together. Our particles literally are held together through and by Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, or God, the Holy Spirit, who leads people, the Bible says, in all truth, fills those whom God is saving with God's spiritual gifts and his power to do God's work on this earth, and who seals us, the Bible says, for the day of redemption. This is the one, this is one of those Trinity, this is one of those ideas, these truths of God that nobody really understands fully. But that you must take from God's word and just accept because it is a fact of scripture. I'll show you in a minute or two. Does this God being one but three separate and distinct persons or beings mean that Christianity is a polytheistic religion? Like, for instance, uh, Christians worship multiple gods, like the Hindus, who I can tell you literally worship millions of gods. No. God Almighty of the Bible, the God of the Bible, is just one God. Like he says several times, just this one example, Isaiah 45, 5 and 6, God says emphatically, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me. 
that you may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. So he's one God. He just said it. I'm one. None but me. I don't care what you know. That One but me, right? No other God but me. But the Bible says that he's in three separate beings or persons. A lot of people get really bent out of shape and reject this idea of God as one but three. There's even a whole sect of professing Christians that rejects the Trinity. They call themselves Pentecostal oneness. They believe that God is just one and he just kind of like manifested himself in these certain times and places, but he's just one God. And the, the beings that you see really weren't different or separate. They were just all just the one, and it's kind of really complicated. Other sects that, uh, of, of, so, of people, that, you know, people that people think are Christians, I would call them, those who would even on their websites tell you that they're Christians, but they reject major Christian doctrines, including the Trinity, would be ones like Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and the LDS. They completely reject the Trinity, as well as other Christian major doctrines, but especially the Trinity as well. They, they believe that you know God is the Father. Some of them believe that you know God is the Father and Jesus Christ is a created being, and he's like a, a created lesser God, and then that would make their multiple gods, and it kind of gets confusing, but nevertheless... They don't believe in the Trinity. But it really, to me, biblically, and I'm going to show you here in a a minute or so, it doesn't really matter for whatever reason anybody rejects this major fundamental fact of God, the Trinity or the Godhead. It's a wrong idea to reject because God is one but three and, 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 He's very outspoken about it in his word as well, too. Just look, I want to show you just these examples. This is We're going to spend some time here. I'm going to discuss them. and uh, Maybe you didn't ever know these scriptures of the Bible, but I'm going to kind of throw them out there, and we're going to talk about them a little bit. Just some examples from the Old Testament Trinity first, because yes, the Trinity is absolutely in the Old Testament, and it's not just some half-baked New Testament idea that someone came up with to deceive people. And I'm going to show you it's real. We're going to start in the very beginning. Look at this. We're going to see a part of the Trinity in the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. You don't get any more beginning than that. That's the beginning of everything, right? Look at what God says in his word, right from the New King James Bible. You can look it up yourself. Turn to it. Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 3. God says this. The Bible says this. In the beginning, God, there we go, that's God, our creator God, created the heavens and the earth. So there we go. What did I tell you? Father God, God of all creation, created everything. And it goes on to say, verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. So water, basically, the planet earth was a whole planet of water. Water was all you saw from, you know, if you look down on it, water was completely engulfed the whole earth. That's it. And look at what we read next. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The, the who? It, it, notice it just didn't say, and God was hovering over the face of the waters. No, no, no. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then verse 3, then God said, did you see the separation there? We see God and he's speaking, but then we see God's Spirit, his power, what I just described to you, the one who fills people and leads people to Christ and so on and so forth and all truth, his Spirit 
the third person in the Trinity, is hovering over the waters while God is there too. And then God speaks and he says, let there be light. God the Spirit and God the Creator God. That's the first picture of two persons of the same Trinity, of the same one God. Now at the very creation of mankind, look what it says, still Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27 though. Pop down there, we're going to be in Genesis for a few more here. Uh, then it says, the Bible says to us this, Then God said, so one God, right? Then God said, one God, let us, what? Make man in our image. Well, who's he talking to? According to our likeness. Did you see there? There's one God, but he's talking about himself in a plural form. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Who's he talking to? Is God talking to himself? Like he's the only one standing there and going, hey God, and he's standing on the left and hey, God, who are we going to make man in? And then he jumps over to the right and says, oh, hey, God, let's make him in our image. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. But obviously, there's not just one being standing there. But yet Christians don't worship a triune God. God doesn't have multiple personalities. He just said in Isaiah, I'm the only God. I'm one God. I'm one. And besides me, there's no Lord. Yet right here he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then he goes on. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God, again, singular, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God, one God, blessed them and said to them. And then we all know, you know, be fruitful, multiply, and I'm not going to go on about it. But we know here, we see that we see not all, we see one God, but speaking of himself in a plurality of a way. Well, who is that? Well, that's the Trinity. We don't hear the word Trinity there, but we know from the other parts of the Bible, we already saw two parts of the Trinity just in our first scripture there when God's talking, when, you know, Spirit of God's hovering over the face of the earth. But then who's the third part? We're going to get to that. Well, let's get to the next one, though. See the Trinity again, Genesis, or Genesis 3, verses 22 and 23. Right after Adam and Eve sinned, then the Lord God said, well, who's he talking to again? Who's he talking then the Lord God said to who? Right? You've got to think, God's not going to sit there and talk to himself. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Whoa. Again, we see God speaking to himself as not just one person, but multiple persons. But then the Lord God said just one God. Right? Man's become like one of us to know good and evil. And now at least he put out his hand and take of it also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him, one God again, out of the garden Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Wow. Multiple, but yet one. I don't know if you're getting the picture here, but it's it's pretty, pretty clear. Genesis 11, 5 through 8, we're talking now the Tower of Babel. This is the next time we see this, right? 
Then the Lord, so, so the, the, the people of the world were trying to create this big, long, big tower, and they were going to try to like literally reach heaven or something. It was like some crazy idea that they had, but it was demonic. It wasn't of God. And so the Lord saw it, and the, it says here, the Bible says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord God said, again, who's he talking to? He's not just talking to himself. Jumping to the left and the right here. The Lord God said, indeed, the people are one and they have all one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Look at verse 7. Behold, let, or excuse me, come, let us, here we go again, the Lord God is one God, but come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So look at what happened. So the Lord, one God, scattered them abroad from over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. So we have one God speaking again of himself in a multiple of ways. Let us, our image. Uh, Then God said, God wasn't talking to mankind. Man doesn't say that the Bible says, man, oh, man, God spoke to man and, and he said, hey, I'm going to make you stop. No, the Lord God was talking to himself, but he wasn't jumping left or right. He was talking to another person of himself. I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but let's keep going. Look at what Isaiah 9, 6 says about this triune Godhead, Trinity, you know, triune God. For Look, look what God says here. Chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us, this is Isaiah speaking now, a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Now we know prophetically this scripture is talking about Jesus Christ. Who's supposed to, who's going to come and he's going to you know, make himself known and, and, and he's going to become the savior of mankind. And because and we know this is the, a great prophecy of Christ. For unto us a child is born, son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder... Now, this is a child that's going to be born, right? Not just somebody that's going to pop up or, you know, a son, a child, a literal human being. And, and, the, and the scripture says here in Isaiah 9, 6, And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor. Listen to these next ones. Mighty God. Now, this is a child, but yet Isaiah says, Everlasting Father. What? Prince of Peace. One God, but yet here we see that God's going to be born as a child and he's going to come to earth and his name's going to be Everlasting Father? How can that be? Well, it can be if there's one God and he's in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, as we just say here, child's going to be born, and God the Holy Spirit who is hovering over the waters, right? Lastly, from the Old Testament, we get our Emmanuel prophecy, another prophecy of the Christ, Isaiah 7, 14. Look at what it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, the word Emmanuel in the Hebrew means God with us. Not a God with us, but God, Emmanuel, the Creator. So yet, 
We know that God is the Father. God is the Creator. Yet, we see here in Scripture that God is also going to be born into the womb of, or put into the womb of a woman and be born on the face of the planet Earth. We see here the Spirit of God. We see the God the Father. And then we see God the Son right there in the Old Testament. All part of the Old Testament and all screams Trinity. And all screams Godhead. Isn't that amazing? God, just one God, but in three separate and distinct persons. How cool but confusing this all is, right? Now, some New Testament mentions of the Trinity, including Jesus' testimony and man's testimony of himself. Look at this. Starting in the very beginning of the New Testament, right? We started in, New, in, in the very beginning of the Bible, of uh, the Old Testament. Now we're going to start in the very beginning of the New Testament too. Angel comes to Joseph. Remember, you know, Joseph sees that Mary's pregnant. And now he's got this, man, what am I supposed to do? Because he's a righteous man. And the Bible says that, you know, he knew he didn't have sex with Mary yet. Yet she's pregnant. Oh my gosh, how did she get pregnant? She cheated on me. She's a, oh my gosh, she's, oh, what do I do? What do I, I gotta, I gotta stone her. I gotta put her away. So as he's contemplating all this and an angel comes to Joseph and tells him in Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, or Yahshua, or, or Joshua, we know it in the English, for he will save his people from their sins. Then in verse 22, Matthew confirms Isaiah's prophecy in 714. So he says this, all was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, behold, The virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Again, not a God or not multiple gods, but the God of all creation will be with us, but in human form. Not a spiritual being, not a God that can't be looked upon, but a spiritual being. Now, This scripture here, of course, is our second example from 1 John 5, 7, where John says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And he says emphatically and powerfully, these three are one. Paul in Colossians 1.15, speaking of Jesus Christ and God, he says this, He, Jesus Christ, who is he? What part of the Trinity? How how do we describe him? He is the image of of the invisible God. Notice here, John even, or Paul, excuse me, puts Jesus Christ and God in two separate contexts. He didn't say Jesus Christ is God and he is God the Father. No, he said Jesus Christ was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creations. He says again in Colossians 2.9, for in him, meaning Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Well, what's the Godhead? No other than the Trinity. God, one God, but in three separate and distinct persons. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. John, in his, in his gospel, speaking of who Jesus Christ was in the very beginning, we read this. He speaks about the beginning of creation. He says this, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, And the Word was with God. So you see, we see God, and then there's the Word, right? Well, we know the Word again. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now look at this. And the Word was 
God. Wow! So we got God, we got the Word, but then we're, we don't just, then John combines them and he says, well, no, 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 stop there. The Word was God. So we see Jesus Christ and God, and we'll add the Holy Spirit now because we've already read that, the Holy Spirit, all one God. And it goes on, verse 2, and he was in the beginning with God. Isn't this awesome? It's confusing. It is the most confusing doctrine in all the Bible. But it's awesome because God in his word gives us so many clues and so many tips to say, hey, this is who I really am. Look at this one. I don't, I don't, anybody that could deny the Trinity with this scripture and the next one following, they just, they, they purposely want to deny it. It's just, I had conversations and people still do, but it's, it's almost impossible. You just hardly can. Nearing the feast in Jerusalem in John chapter 10, some Jews surrounded Jesus and they asked him, and they said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, they say, Tell us plainly. And in John 10, 30, Jesus Christ says, Hey, I'm God. This, the Trinity's real. God's you know, more than one, but still one God. He says it more plainly than anywhere in the entire, 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 entire Bible. He says this, I and my Father are one. Now, well, they're one in purpose, I've been told by people. Well, they're one. Oh, no, no. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Here is the grand slam home run to the Trinity, to Jesus Christ being God, to God and Jesus Christ being one, but still one God. Did those Jews, or, or, or I could say, is Jesus Christ and God and the Holy Spirit all just one in purpose, as I've been told? Well, let's look. Did those Jews that Jesus was talking to understand that he said to mean that he believed himself to be God literally? Because it all really depends on how, when you read the Bible and read context, what do people read into what people say, right? How do people read something when you say something? If somebody says, you know, I love you, did you really mean I love you or did you really mean something else? Well, look at what the Jews said of Jesus after he said, I and my Father are one. Because they were standing right there with him. Look at John chapter 10, 31 31 through 33, the very next two verses. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Again, notice that. This is not the first time. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, Many good works I've shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? Listen to this. The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we don't stone you. But why? But for blasphemy. And because you, they tell him, being a man. They could tell he was a man. He walked in the physical flesh. He made footprints on the sand when he walked. He ate food just like people. They say, you, being a man, make yourself God. They didn't say, you make yourself a God. No. They said, you, being a man, make yourself Jehovah, Yahweh, the creator of all the universe. And of course, that's why Jesus said, me and the Father are one. Because him and God are literally one, but separate and 
you know, separated and they're different in the fact of what they do, but they're still all one God. Can there be any doubt of God in the Trinity? One in three and three in one. God speaks so loudly about who he is in scripture. He is one God, yet he's also three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We even see a few examples in the New Testament where God and all three persons are seen and heard at all at all the same time, but still separate, but only one for today, because we, we <laughs> I've been beating your ear up about the Trinity again today. It's important. It, it's something I love. It, it, Jesus meets John the Baptist to be baptized in Matthew chapter 3. And as they're going forward, Jesus says, hey, permit it to be so, for it fulfills all righteousness' sake. And John says, oh, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do it. So as John is baptizing Jesus, the Christ, who I'm telling you today is the second person of the Trinity, look at this, what happens. When he, Jesus, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. That's the first person in the picture of the Trinity that I've been telling you about today. And behold, listen to this, the heavens were open to him. He was standing there. Him and John were there. John's probably still got him in his arms. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning upon him. Well, that's the second person, or that's the third person, I should say, in the Trinity, but the second one mentioned here. And look look at what happens next. And suddenly a voice came from heaven. There's the first person in the Trinity, right? A, a picture of the Trinity, God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So we have God speaking from heaven, Jesus Christ being baptized in the water, and the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven to align on him in the form of a dove. We see the perfect picture of the Trinity right there. Yet, people still say the Trinity is not true. To say that, ladies and gentlemen, is heretical. To say it, it's Antichrist. Jesus claimed that me and the Father are one, and the people there took him to mean that he was literally meaning that he was God. God's word is full of the idea of the Trinity. Not just just not the word because someone invented it. The word Trinity sure was invented by someone, but it was only invented just to describe the Godhead. And of course, it was made not too long ago. So of course, the Bible was finished being written about, you know, almost 2,000 years or over 1,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago, I should say. And so we know that the word Trinity was added in word, but it was, it's not added in the scriptures, just added in to help us understand who God is. The Trinity, one God, all-powerful, almighty, holy, awesome, eternally existing, having no beginning and no end is what the Bible tells us, yet in three separate, distinct persons, but just still one God. It's crazy, right? Again, this aspect of God is almost impossible to wrap your physical mind around, but it's a major, fundamental, biblical fact of God and Christ. How you say, can one God, the God of all the universe, be three separate, distinct persons, right? How? But still be just one God. And you may be saying, this doesn't make any sense. First of all, I have to tell you this. Just because it doesn't make any sense doesn't make it not true. 
There's a lot of things in life that I see and hear and have seen and have heard of that don't make a lick of sense, but yet they're true. To name them all, I'd be here forever, right? Secondly, making, in the making sense category, the aspect of the Trinity is something that Christians have been trying to explain for a long time. People, you know, Christians, we know it's true. Real, those that have been saved, the Holy Spirit's born witness to us. Hey, God is three but one. And so we've been trying to explain it over the years a lot. And so these are the three best that always come up and that I love and they help me understand it. If you're, if you're just groping for a way, how do I understand the Trinity, Pastor? And I, I, don't, I can't understand it and I can't accept it. If I can't understand it, well, you just have to do it by faith. But here, here are a few ways... They're so simple if you just think about them. These in the, in the scientific physical spectrum are, are, are off the chart mind-blowing how complex they are, but just as the simple basics of it all, you can look at God in the Trinity like this. Example, like an egg. Right? In an egg, you have lots of different things scientifically, but just at the basic, the biggest, biggest things you see, you see an egg white, you see a yolk, and you see a shell. You have one egg... But you have three major parts to this egg. Like water, you could say. Water, oh my gosh, water is so complex. Yes, so is God. But what else is water? Just at the basic, simple, 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 right? What is water? It's vapor. It's liquid, but it's also solid. But it's also, it's all still water. But we see water in three different forms, all being just water. It, like human beings, we are so complex. I mean, our systems and our functions and the things that go on in a human, they're so complicated. But yet, in just the simplicity of it all, we see a human being. We wouldn't be a human without a body, a flesh body, right? Can't be a human without a flesh body. What, what fills a human body? Well, we know we have a soul. We know we have a second person. Where does our thinking come from? Where does our thought come from? We have a person inside of a person, you'd say. We have a body we have a soul, like a man inside of a man, which is our soul, which is our eternal part of us. And then what else do we have? We have our animation. We have our spirit. The spirit, a spirit, which is a power that come, that, God, that, that God puts within us at conception that makes us animated. Because the wall doesn't move and, and the light switch doesn't move unless you move it. But people move and they're not plugged in and they're not given any power to go with. It's a spirit. It's just a power. So in these basic three things and these three things about these basic three things, we can kind of understand how we could see God in, in a Trinity type of way. Same as God in Christ. He's so complex that nobody on earth can comprehend how. How can he be a trinity? How can he be one God, but he's also three? I don't understand it. But yet, so simple, God the Father, God the Word, or Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. God, one God, but three separate and distinct persons. Biblically described as the Godhead, or in our modern day, the Trinity, right? I know that we only studied two verses today, but I love speaking about the Trinity. Actually, for quite a while, when I grazing over this scripture, I'd be thinking, "Oh Lord, I can't wait till I get to teach this, you know, the, about the Trinity." I, and I know I probably you probably couldn't tell, right? Yeah, right, and that. <laughs> but it's also not only that I enjoy speaking about it, but it's such an important aspect of God's character. Uh, I hope today that I was able to clearly transmit this very difficult concept to you. 
uh, especially if you listen to this message because you had doubts or even maybe a rejection of the Trinity, God being one, yet three. But I hope that today God's word has helped you to see that the Trinity is a clear fact of Scripture and a clear aspect of God's character. For God is very loud in Scripture, right? He's very loud. In fact, God's obnoxious in Scripture. Let us make man in our image. And then God said, really? That God is obnoxious, literally, in Scripture about this aspect of himself. As I said earlier, this is one of the most difficult concepts of God's word to wrap your head around in Scripture. And not only for everybody, for me too. The question, how can the one and only creator of the universe be one, yet also three separate and distinct persons or beings also? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Uh, And even really God in his word doesn't tell us how this truth of him is possible. He doesn't say, well, I'm one God, but I'm three persons and this is how I'm able to do it. Boom, boom, boom. He doesn't tell us that. He just tells us that he is one God and the only God of all creation, that there is no other. Yet, he also describes himself in three different distinct beings or persons. So the question, ladies and gentlemen, should not be asked, how is God like this? Because really, you're only going to be able to fully understand it and comprehend it when you get to heaven. If you're going to go to heaven, that's the only time you're going to be able to understand it. The better thing to do is not to ask the question, how? Really, it's just to accept that this is a characteristic of God and go with it. And really, embrace it and embrace the wonders of it and love and worship our triune creator for the amazing, loving being that he is. For scripture tells us that he wants people to love him with all their hearts and souls and minds. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Now, why, while we're on the topic of this loving, the triune God, our God ahead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, what does it mean to love God with all our hearts, our souls, and our mind? In our modern day, October 2016, many people have their own idea how to love God. <laughs> For instance, many people that even claim to be Christians don't even really believe in all what I just talked about today. Right? We even talked about them. People that think that they're Christians, but they don't even believe what the Bible said so loudly today. So how do we love God? How do we go about loving the triune God of all the universe? But you see, just as God has many characteristics about himself, example, Jesus Christ coming by water and blood, and by that birth into a human being, and being a triune God, he also has many likes and dislikes, and things that he loves and things that he hates. Really, it's no different than any person on the face of planet Earth. We all have our likes and dislikes, and well, guess what? Bible says we're made in his image. And if we have likes and dislikes, usually the created is like the creator. And in our case, like I just said, the Bible says we're made in God's image. So how does the triune God want to be loved? Well, I can tell you, you're not going to be able to know this in your mind. You're not going to be able to know this in your own heart. Because the Bible says that our hearts and our minds are wicked and that they're evil. So how do we do this? Not going by what we feel. Not going by what I think. Well, we got to go to God's word again. For that's where we learn everything about God. That's where we find out everything that can be found out about what God has revealed to mankind. And I must start at the beginning. 
the beginning of how to start a relationship with God because many people today think that they're really Christians, but they've been deceived by modern false teachings. They've been deceived by that tricky old devil. Many people think, well, I just love God by having a belief in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Hey, and I've confessed him to be my Lord and Savior. Hey, Jesus, my Lord. Yet when you ask, what does that even mean? I don't I'm, I just believe in him. Well, the, the Bible does not say that just because you have a head belief of Jesus and a simple profession of, hell yeah, I believe in Jesus, he's my Lord, that does not make you saved. It does not make God happy just because you have a simple head belief in Jesus. So what does the scriptures say? What does the counsel of all scriptures say? Well, I could tell you, the head of the Trinity, the first person, God the Father, creator of all creation, tells us that he wants us to show him love by coming through the second person of the Trinity, his son, God the Son, the Savior, Jesus Christ. But how then does Jesus say that we love God? How does Jesus say we get saved? How does Jesus say that God wants to be loved? Going through him, but how? That's vague, right? Hey, just come through my son Jesus. Well, where do I walk through him like a door? Or maybe I, I go, hey, Jesus, come here, let me, you know, come over here, let me go around you, and I'll, I'll touch you as I'm going around you. Maybe I can go through God. Like, no. How? How do we go through Jesus to get to God, to love God? Well, Jesus tells us in Scripture. Jesus tells us plainly, plainly, as plain as plain could be. Luke 9, 23 and, and 24 and so on. Let's look at 9, 23. Look at what he says. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That's the first thing. If we want to get to God, we go through Jesus, but we obviously don't walk through him like a door, right? Like a literal door, like our door to our house. We come to him and we deny ourselves. What does that mean? We make a decision, he's saying, to stop being the Lord of our own lives and we surrender to him. As Lord, we go through him by coming to him by faith and falling down and saying, Jesus, I need you. I, I'm tired of this life being my own Lord. I need you. Come into me. I need you, please. Then he said that we're supposed to take up our cross, and it's a daily thing that we do. So after we've come to him, after we surrendered, we take up our cross. Well, what does that mean? Well, what did Jesus do with the cross? The cross killed Jesus' flesh. Didn't kill his soul, though, right? Didn't kill his spirit. It killed his flesh. It means we're supposed to stop living life serving our fleshly desires and serving sin. Come to Jesus. Surrender before him. Give up the lordship of our lives. Surrender to him as Lord. And then turn away then after that, because we'll have the power to, because we'll be saved, Turn away from a life serving sin. And then he follows and he says, he lastly, and follow me. That means, hey, you've surrendered. You've turned away from serving the flesh. And now, hey, now listen to my teachings, my child, because you're not my child, he says, and follow what I tell you to do. So simple as that. In case we didn't get the full meaning of what he just said in that sentence, he clarifies it in the next sentence or a verse. Look at verse 24. Listen to this. He kind of goes on to maybe, you know, give us some further. Maybe we just didn't get it fully, what he just said, right? He says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Well, what does that mean? 
save my life to lose it. Well, taking a what, what he just said, for whoever desires to save his life, that means be their own lords of their earthly lives. If you want to save your life, if you want to be the Lord of your earthly life, be the one that's in control of you. Hey, man, I, I drive my own car. I'm the captain of my own ship. Then he said here, you'll lose it. Lose what then? Well, if you want to be the captain of your earthly life, that means you're pushing God out of the way and you're going to lose your eternal life with Christ. And that means that you won't go to heaven. So if you want to be your own Lord, you want to serve you, you want to serve sin, then you don't want to serve God and you'll lose your eternal life. But he goes on to say, but whoever loses his life for my sake, notice it's losing a life for him, for his sake, because of him. Whoever loses their life, meaning loses the earthly control or lordship over their own lives for his sake, because of what he did for him, you know, to him, then he says then, you'll save it, meaning you'll save your eternal life or you'll be saved forever. And that's how you come to know God. That's how you come to love God. That's how you start a relationship with, your, with, with the triune creator of all the universe. And once you make that decision to, to submit your life to Christ and surrender to him by denying yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus Christ, then God sends the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, into your heart or, or being yours, and he begins to save you. And he makes you a new creation in Christ Jesus for you become born again, a spiritual child of God. And to continue to love God with your heart, soul, and mind as you live on until death, basically you just... You're just deciding daily to stay right where you started and you're coming to him for salvation. Surrendered life to Christ, committed to Christ in relationship and, and, and adding to those if you want to continue. And if you're today, you want to continue. The Bible says we need to make an effort to obey the things that God says to do in his word as a whole. More specifically, the basics of putting your complete and utter trust in Christ for everything. Spending time with him daily, speaking to him in prayer, listening to him in his word, building your relationship and making an effort to obey or follow the teachings of Christ. For Jesus said, follow me and abstain from sin in in your life and serving sin until you die. I, I don't know where you're at with God or Christ or the Holy Spirit. I don't know where you're at with the Godhead today, with the Trinity that is God Almighty, the Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ, the Lord, his son, and God, the Holy Spirit. But I know where they want you to be today. Surrendered to Christ, because that's what God said, come to me through my son. Surrendered to Christ. Committing, you know, committed in a relationship with him daily and obedient to his teachings. Would you like to be in this place with God today? You say, well, Pastor Ed, I'm not. Or, you know, I thought I was, but I had to believe in Jesus. But according to what Jesus just said, I didn't hear him say, I didn't hear him say, hey, just have a belief in me and you'll be okay. I I didn't hear that. So if you want to do this, if you want to do this and you want to commit your life fully and totally and, and, and be born again and be a spiritual child of God and have, you know, full faith that you're going to go to heaven when you die, then repent. Repent simply right now. Fall on your face, fall on your knees before God and surrender. 
Jesus, I need you. God, save me. I don't want to go to hell, Lord. I want to love you. I want to know you. Well, please, I want to be saved. Jesus, I want to walk with you. I want to have a relationship with you. Apologize for your sins. God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, 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 I serve sin in my life. I don't serve Jesus Christ. I don't serve you. I serve myself. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to love you. I, I want to follow Jesus Christ today. And then third, you ask him to save your soul. God, please save me. Save my soul today. Allow me to be born again so I could be this uh, new creature, as the Bible says. Not just some old guy just trying to do this or that or whatever, but then live in any way I want. God, I want to be born again. God, please save me. Let my soul be saved. Let me have your Holy Spirit. If you're not there, he loves you so much and desires you to be at that place in your life. Please come to him now. He gave up everything for you by coming to earth from perfect heaven and giving up his perfect place in heaven. And he gave up everything for you on the cross where he gave his life as a ransom for your sin. Please come to him now. If you're already there, please stay there till you die. Pray, seek God's face, and stay close to Jesus. I I love this saying. If you're a real Christian, this can be your saying too. I love this saying. I want to walk so close to Jesus that when he stops, I want to bump into him. Right? Think about that. Think about that. Stay close to Jesus, Christians. Stay away from sin. Stay away from the practice of sin. And stay away from that and follow in Christ until you die. Bible says if you fall away, you'll be disqualified and you'll lose your eternal life. You don't want that to happen. Stay close to Jesus. Crawl up to him next to him and, and curl up next to him every day like a heavenly father. Crawl up in his arms. Jesus, I need you. God, I need you. I, I love you. Let Make my life reflect yours today. Stay close to Jesus and following his ways. And I can't wait. We'll all be in heaven someday, someday. Lord, thank you so much, God, for for giving us this message today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are, Lord. We don't even know hardly so many things about you, Lord God, in depth. Lord, for you just haven't revealed those things to us yet. We'll know more, as your word says, when we get to see you, when we're standing face to face before you. But right now, Lord, we just know some things about you through your word. And we know that you're a loving God. We know that you're a compassionate God. We know that you're merciful God because your word tells us these things. But we also know, Lord God, that you came to earth and you came in the form of man. You sent yourself, your second person that's in your Trinity, Lord, into, yourself, into this world to be born as a human, to take the sins of the world upon himself, to die for those sins and to make restitution for those sins, Lord, so that all that come to you and run to you as an umbrella or run to him, run to Jesus Christ as an umbrella, Lord, would be saved. And Lord, we thank you, Lord. But we also know, Lord God, that you are a triune loving God. You are God the Father. You are God the Son. You are God the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you so much for this aspect of yourself. For in each of those aspects, Lord, we just see love, 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 and more love. Because you, you just, oh Lord, I, can't, I could go on and on and on, but Lord, thank you. Help us, Lord God. Help those out there that are listening, Lord, that don't know you, Lord, help them to find their way to that cross. 
Help them to find their way to their knees where they fall down on their faces and where they repent and where they truly turn to you. And Lord, those that are yours, Lord, keep them close. Keep them close to your side, Lord God. Close behind you, Lord God, so that if you stop, Jesus, they'll bump into the back of you. (laughs) Lord, thank you so much. And I ask these things and pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.